Hey everybody, and welcome to my JS story. Uh, this week we're going to be talking to Alex Russell. Alex, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, I'm Alex. I'm a software engineer on the Chrome team. I work primarily on designing new features for the web platform, and I run our standards work. Cool. And you were also on episode 87 of the JavaScript Jabber Show, which was quite a while ago. We're over 250 now. Wow. Yeah, and we talked to you about TC39, which is something that I think we're going to dig into a little bit here. Um, yeah, the, the first question I usually ask, though, we go back a little bit further than that. Um, how did you get into programming? Oh, I guess everyone has that. Well, okay, I guess everyone who has a background like mine has a story of, you know, that moment in their childhood where they had access to a computer and then someone gave them access to a terminal and then told them that they could do anything they wanted. And then they tried it and it was awesome. Um, I guess I had a little bit of that. My my father is a mechanical engineer, um, and he always had a computer in the house, mm -hmm. uh, and so I learned a little bit of basic. But I didn't really want to do anything really with computers, I think, until high school um, when I realized that that was really interesting. And uh, again, I got very lucky. I got extraordinarily lucky. I had uh, access to um, a lab full of uh, Unix computers. I mean, they were <laughs> they were... System 5 release 4 running Bill Joy's VI. We had C shell, a compiler for C, and I think a Pascal compiler. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm not, not even kidding. Um, and we had VI. VI was the editor, and you had to learn VI. Um, and that, you know, that technology from the 70s, uh, by the time I was, I think, 18, had, had put me a good five years in front of most of my peers by the time I got to college. <laughs> um, oh, wow. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, Unix is a thing that if you're very lucky, you get introduced to. Um, and uh, so I got, I got very lucky and got introduced to that. And about the same time the web was happening, started to be a thing. I'm old, so that was in the late 90s. And, um, you know, learned some HTML from Lance Arthur's glassdog.com site and learned a little bit of JavaScript here and there. And then, you know, those two interests sort of, uh, went along in parallel, you know, with the web stuff kind of being a thing and the programming stuff kind of being a thing. And then, you know, that, that, that was it. This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. The conference is focused on people who want to keep up with the latest in programming or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current and a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 12th and the call for proposals is open until April 28th. So come join us at NewbieRemoteConf.com. That's really interesting. It's funny because, you know, people get in and they're like, oh, yeah, well, I did basic on, you know, this machine when I was a kid. And then other people, it's like, well, I was trying to solve this problem and I was 35 years old, you know. <laughs> and so it's it's really interesting to see just that wide breadth of experience that people have. 
Yeah, and I only chuck it up to luck, right? The, the fact yep. that my my parents happen to be have an engineering slant and give me access to a computer, um, I'm extraordinarily lucky about that. Uh, that's not, you know, and it's weird because I think in in the Valley, at least, so many people have that experience that they sort of assume that it's common when, in fact, you've just self-selected to be in the same group of people who are just as lucky as you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so I try I try to like always put that story in context because it's you know it is the mark of extraordinary privilege yeah I didn't get exposed to Unix or any of that kind of thing until I was in college yeah 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 and I, I know that a lot of my peers in college had had the experience of sitting down at a sun terminal for the first time going what is this <laughs> oh man sun oh that that brings back the bad old days I was a system, yeah, I was a systems administrator and yeah, we had to deal with Solaris and deal with is the right term for Solaris, but yeah. So, uh, so yes, you kind of, uh, moved, um, I I guess you graduated with a degree in computer science. (laughs) You you said Um, college, so. Oh yeah. The idea of me having a degree is kind of funny. Uh, no, I have no degree. I, I was, I was bad at school. Um, I was bad at most things. I still am, but I was particularly bad at that. Uh, although sort of JavaScript did, did catch and I spent a lot of time in my dorm room writing JavaScript and not a lot of time studying. Um, and eventually, uh, the university had the good sense not to ask me back. Um, so I, <laughs> I dropped out, uh, dropped out, uh, and then did some computer security stuff for a while and some web stuff on the side. And then eventually the web stuff ate a larger and larger fraction of my time. So JavaScript, here we are. Yeah, love JavaScript. So, so what was JavaScript like back then when you were getting into it? Because it's changed a bit <laughs> <laughs> since the '90s. It's changed a bit. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, for context and to date myself dramatically, um, I started learning HTML when CSS was the new thing. There was a moment there where. CSS was not go- going to necessarily be the future. There were builds of Netscape that include something called JavaScript style sheets, JSSS. Um, and that was an alternative future that we didn't go down. Uh, CSS won. Um, and then IE4 came out, right? IE3 mm-hmm. was a thing. And then, you know, Netscape 4 was the, Netscape 3.5 uh, was, the, was, the, was the big deal. And then Netscape 4 came out and everybody thought that it was going to be the big deal. And... I remember that Netscape 4, I think, came out like a month or two before IE4 did. And IE4 just completely wiped the floor with it. It was so much better. Um, I mean, to give you a sense of context, I don't know if anybody on who is listening to this podcast will remember that there was a time when every time you resized the browser window, the page reloaded from scratch. <laughs> that was uh- a thing. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah, so that so that was that was the that was one sort of JavaScript sort of entered into the consciousness, and it was mostly like, you know, uh, uh, auto-generated menu drop-down code mm-hmm. and a little bit of form validation, and then um, some of us. Uh, it was a very calling it a community would be generous. Some of us um, found each other through the internets, and we started sort of comparing notes about the crazy stuff that you could do. Um, you know. Aaron Boodman and Glenn Murphy and Paul Soden and Eric Arvidsson and Emil Eklund and, you know, uh, 
Tom Trenka and Dylan Scheman, uh, folks like that, like folks who sort of made the first generation of libraries. Uh, we all sort of used to sort of congregate on dhtmlcentral.com that I think uh, Thomas Bratley, if, if I haven't ma mangled the name, um, uh, ran. And uh, we lost our collective history a couple of times. Like we made these, these kind of cool demos and we pushed things as far as they could go. And this was in the era, like, you know, when a standardized DOM was just becoming a thing. Because I don't know if you remember, but there was an IE proprietary DOM. And then there was mm -hmm. the Netscape DOM right. uh, with, with the layers thing. And we were all trying to, like, navigate our way through that to try to see what you could put together that would get you relatively similar results across browsers. Um, it's it sort of, I think it, it, the biggest thing that sticks out for me now about now versus then is the quality of dev tools and the... Um, the astonishing consistency between implementations today. Like people talk about, oh, cross-browser compatibility is a pain. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's hard not to go a little bit old man on it and be like, get off my lawn about <laughs> cross-browser compatibility. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, we were sort of, my analogy that from back in the day was that, you know, we were, we were sort of beachcombing the, the landscape to see if we could get a bunch of shells that all kind of look the same and put them together into something that looks kind of pretty and kind of work the same way. Mm -hmm. um, and you had to spend a lot of time sort of navigating MSDN and, you know, trying stuff out. There were no console tools. You had to make your own console and logging. It was just, it was just a, a, a raw, uh, more difficult uh, environment. So we didn't make progress as quickly as you might now. Yeah. And I mean, I... I, I fiddled around with web development when I was in high school, which was the the nineties, the late nineties. And, um, and then when I really got serious about web development, it was the early two thousands and jQuery <laughs> made things very nice. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so jQuery was interesting cause, uh, we started the, the dojo project, which I worked on before I came to Google, mm -hmm. um, out of the ashes of what was then the DHTML community. So there had been this sort of, you know, like I, I'd say flowering of libraries. Right. And circa 2002, 2003, 2004, um, I mean, they were all sort of one and two person efforts. Uh, mm -hmm. And about that time, you know, got to remember, we didn't have GitHub. Uh, SourceForge was as good as it got. And um, <laughs> the, the reality of collaboration was that it was actually quite difficult to kind of set up a project and get contributors and, and like do all of that stuff. And so, um, you know, Dojo was formed basically as a consolidation of a bunch of different libraries um, and sort of in the same era jQuery came out, which was really interesting because, you know, we were starting to see stabilization in the browser landscape uh, for a bad reason, which was that browsers had sort of stopped innovating uh, entirely. Microsoft had taken their foot off the gas and, and IE had stopped releasing. Uh, but what that meant was that there was an opportunity there for Firefox to, you know, uh, rise from the ashes of Netscape and get into yeah. a compatible position. Um, so... All that was happening, it was good, it was sort of stabilizing. Um, but I think what I, I what none of us expected, who had sort of seen that first a sort of um, tumultuous time with browsers, where there was IE4, and then 5, and then 5.5, and then 6, and you know Netscape 3, and then being replaced with Netscape 4 almost immediately, that, um, that sort of table turning uh, moment has never happened again. We just all kind of expected that the cavalry would show up and the browsers would get awesome again. And it just didn't really happen. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't until 2000 
and you know I'd say seven. So there's like a, a good four or five year drought there where um, features that were available to you as a as a web developer, uh, we got we got lots of features in the browser, but like features to, available to you as a web developer didn't really start to pick back up again until you know Firefox got to a point where it was it was really competitive in terms of market uh, presence. And um, 2008, Chrome happened, and then IE8 happened. And so those, those kind of changed things again. Um, but yeah, there was a long slog there where JavaScript sort of became very focal for web developers because we didn't really get new stuff anymore. It used to be the case that every year we were like, we had this fatigue about, oh, the 6.0 browsers are going to break my 5.0 browser websites, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and we got to the point where it's like, wait, wait, where where are the browsers? So I thought they were going to show up. So JavaScript, I think, has unfortunately gone from a crutch to critical infrastructure in some cases. Yep, definitely. So how was JavaScript changing, you know, as as browsers started to pick up again? You know, as, as things started to move and, you know, we started seeing uh, new implementations of new cool stuff in the browsers. I'd say initially it didn't really. I mean, if you think about what happened, um, and there's some politics there, right? So mm -hmm. the, the ES3 era, um, which is kind of what everyone implemented between 2001 and 2000 and call it eight, nine, um, there, there was an attempt there in the middle to, to do an, an evolution of the language, a big evolution, um, ES4, I don't know if that, that rings any bells, but... Um, I've read about it, but yeah, why don't you walk us through it? Oh yeah, so um, I had I had a front row seat for some of that. Uh, Brendan Ike at one point made the mistake <laughs> of inviting me to participate in TC39 meetings, um, which at that point was interesting because uh, Adobe had you know obviously Flash was a large proportion yes. of the of the interactive programming landscape. Um, it, it added a bunch of the things the web didn't have. It had similar distribution to the web. It was more uniform. Um, and it had a language that was very much like JavaScript. And with ActionScript 3, Adobe added some really nice features to ActionScript. It sort of took it out of the JavaScript-style, totally untyped thing. And it added something more like what I think folks would expect from TypeScript today, which is um, not the same sort of structural and gradual typing, but definitely a, a, a type system that was strong enough to give you some some sense of what your program was going to do before you ran it. Um, so uh, Adobe wanted that to be, if not a standard, definitely part of the sort of accepted web development canon. And so they participated pretty heavily in the development of, of uh, ES4. Uh, Mozilla was participating heavily. Microsoft at that point didn't really have active development on their mm -hmm. browser. They had you know, they had famously disbanded the IE team back in 2002. Um, they had reconstituted it. Not, uh, no, no, jo no joke. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, they put it back together relatively quickly, but they didn't. It's, it's weird. It seems like, I mean, looking back, it seems like they didn't really start the pistons firing um, and delivering product again very quickly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so Microsoft had, le I think, less appetite for new features. And so what you saw was... Um, a, a sort of a division in the committee between an expansive, large attempt to radically improve the language and a series of more focused investments um, that were mostly about turning off the worst mistakes of the last version. Mm -hmm. um, and 
one of the things that I think was good about what happened with, I'd say, the, the end of ES4 was that it focused people more intently on the needs of JavaScript developers, um, people who spent a lot of time writing JavaScript, right. sort of as opposed to um, a more, uh, I wouldn't say academic, but certainly more um, speculative approach to language development. And that, I, I think, has been our, um, that's kind of been our legacy in the intervening period. So between uh, ES5 and ES6, you know, a lot of the features that have gotten done since then have have been the product of looking around the ecosystem, looking at what's common in libraries, what people are doing a lot of, and then trying to figure out what's the most JavaScripty way to provide that as a first-class syntactic or semantic feature. Right. So ES4, I don't think, ever actually got implemented anywhere, or did it, and I just missed it. Well, it's interesting. So um, uh, there, I think there were there were um, uh, there were bench implementations, not not sort of shipping implementations. But the place that I, I think it has had the largest implementation has been inside of the Closure compiler. Uh -huh. uh, Google's internal JavaScript framework for the last ten years has been based on the ES4 type system. Right. Uh, we implemented it basically completely. But of course, those types all live inside of comments. So uh, <laughs> not necessarily um, what folks would think of as the most friendly way of doing it. Uh, the, the transpiler thing sort of wasn't a thing. There was a, a strong bent, and I think it was, for the time, was the right call um, to be able to run all of your JavaScript directly in the browser uh -huh. uh, without any compilers in the way. Because at the time, they were quite slow, and you know it wasn't clear what was going to happen if you tried to do that uh, everywhere. Anyway, long story short, no, I don't, it never sort of escaped into the wild, if that was the question. Right. So where were you, you during all of this? I mean, you mentioned that you were invited to come to TC39 meetings. How long yeah. have you been on the committee? Uh, I mean, on and off, right? My, uh, I think Brendan first invited me to a meeting in 2000, I want to say six or seven. Uh huh. So let's say, let's say 10 years. Um, but, uh, I was, so I was there for some of the bad days in ES4. Um, and then, uh, went off to focus on other things, uh, came to Google uh, in 2008, just as ES 5.1 was wrapping up. Um, and in 2000 and late 2010, um, started working with a team here with Dmitry Glaskov and Alex Komorowski and a bunch of other uh, uh, wicked smart folks mm -hmm. to try to figure out um, what we could do to improve the state of web development in general. Um, and that project is where we started focusing on things like Classes and modules and arrow functions, um, the initial proposals for promises, uh, async and await. Um, we proposed a bunch of features that, that took many, many years to materialize um, as part of a larger package of productivity enhancements to get web development to suck less. And those things included web components. They included things like um, HTML imports and a template element and custom elements and Shadow DOM. Um, better CSS syntax, things like variables, hierarchical CSS, mix-ins. Mm -hmm. um, we had wanted JavaScript to grow uh, interfaces and traits. Uh, that's one of those things that sort of got left on the side of the road as we had to slog it through the rest of the committee for some of these other features. Right. Uh, we focused on data binding, so mutation um, events were pretty terrible. So we, we added mutation observers to the DOM and hoped to get object.observe through the JavaScript side to sort of unify uh, 
that for high performance data binding. So some of those things happened, some of those didn't, but our, right. our project's goal was to try to take the best of what you could do with the web in late 2010, early 2011, and say, what if you didn't have all these legacy libraries that had to carry around this sort of baggage for IE 6 and 7? Mm -hmm. um, what if you started at the tip of what you could do? What would still hurt? What would we still need support for? Componentization and then saying what you mean in the language uh, were two big clear to-dos um, across all languages that we have access to, JavaScript, mm -hmm. DOM, HTML, CSS. Um, and then, you know, some, some, some nice, uh, better syntax for things that, that we do very commonly. Interesting. So were you involved in all of those proposals or? Yeah. And, and was More that? Or less. Well, yeah, I mean, it was. design them all, but. Right. You know, collaborated well, widely. Right. And, and was that mainly your team at Google or was that, did that involve other people? Yeah, so um, we, we brought folks in pretty early uh, outside and then, you know, each of those proposals uh, we sort of started making in the areas that they mm -hmm. uh, made sense to make publicly and try, you know, it's one of these, one of these things where there's no such thing as immaculate conception for a web specification. Um, <laughs> someone starts, uh, someone starts with an idea at a company usually, and usually mm -hmm. someone who's funded to think about it. And then you build support by proving that it's both um, important enough to want to solve uh, right. to enough people, and then trying to uh, make sure that you've picked the right space in the design space, uh, right place in the design space. And that's, um, that's a you know that's a judgment call in many cases, and hopefully you can back that argument with evidence. So we built a lot of prototypes. We wrote a lot of explainer documents to help people sort of understand the problem. Um, I think a lot of that took a long time for some interlocking reasons um, that are maybe not particularly interesting. But I will say that one of the things that's been fascinating to me is sort of on the one hand, I knew academically in two thousand and eight and nine when I joined the Chrome team uh, that the people who work on browsers tend not to be web developers. But the long-run consequences of browser engineers not really understanding anything about what web developers do all day continue to shock me, um, uh, mostly as a, uh, a lack of appetite for change. And it's, it's, kind, of, um, it's kind of fascinating. Uh, I think if you, if, you talk to, uh, uh, if you talk to folks in the web development community who try to make change from the outside, I think, I think they can, you know, um, channel some of their frustration about that effect without maybe being able to put their finger on why it's true. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's less true now, hopefully. Hopefully there's some, some of us working on the inside for them, but <laughs> right. uh, it's still a challenge. That makes sense. So um, one thing that I'm wondering about is um, there were some, I, I don't know how controversial they are anymore. I mean, it's just kind of the reality of web development these days, but there were some things that people were really, um, not excited about necessarily in the uh, ES6 spec. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, what was the process? What what were the debates you were having in, and, and things like that for adopting some of these things like arrow functions and classes and, and all of these different things that we just kind of take for granted now that are part of or going to be part of JavaScript? Yeah, I mean, those are, those are interesting examples. Um, the debates inside of the committee uh, are are wide ranging, right? So there's you know there's the surface syntax debate, like what should it look like? If we agreed that the language should do X or should have a feature that does X, what should X? What what color should it be? Mm -hmm. um, that's a that's a very intricate question because it has details that um, 
overlap with lots of other potential designs, things people want to add. Like if you use a particular symbol to mean something in the grammar, then suddenly it might impact other things people wanted to do with that symbol. Um, there are arguments about, most of the arguments are about the semantics. So arrow functions are an interesting one. Um, uh, the phrase tenets correspondence principle is something that you probably wouldn't use in anger except inside the design of arrow functions. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it has big implications, right? So arrow functions are a syntactic form which uh, which have a different scoping mechanism to many of the other uh, things that we've added in the language. They have an implicit scoping mechanism uh, with binding, uh, which is unique. And it's not just a shorthand for the word function. Mm -hmm. And so sort of rationalizing that um, takes a long time. Uh, you know, so the, and there's lots of like variations. Like I remember... Oh, <laughs> How do I phrase this? Um, one of my liabilities when I sit down to actually work on writing a web app these days is that I remember versions of the spec that could have been the future and then weren't. Oh, and right. so I, I start down, I start typing something out, and I realize that that's the one that didn't make it. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go look up. I have to go look up whichever one actually did make it. Um, oh, that's funny. Yeah, so you know, you sort of you see the ghosts of 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 ideas that didn't quite make it everywhere as you do this, and but that means that you have to work through all of those alternatives in enough detail to to really weigh them, to really try to understand whether or not they work well. Mm -hmm. And so this is kind of where my, um, you know, as as I work with folks here now to design new features for the platform, this is where my love of example code comes from, because I think that if you really haven't seen how the code will look, work, and feel you don't really have any sense for whether or not your design is any good. Um, and one of the liabilities of a, a relatively antiseptic environment, like a standards committee, is that you can become disconnected from that day-to-day -day reality. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, keeping yourself grounded, I guess, is, a, is an important part of feature development for the web. Interesting. So one other thing that I've always wondered about TC39 is that um, initially, you know, you were just worried worried about JavaScript in the browser. And now we've got Node.js, we've got JavaScript doing like mobile apps and things like that. So how much consideration do you give to all of those things as you move forward? So one of the things that's interesting about um, standards development, and this is, this is slightly different to the composition of the community, um, one of the things that's interesting about standards development is that standards development is, is de facto conservative. Um, and that means that if your feature, the feature that you're building the next version of has been successful at all, your primary interest is in not screwing it up. Mm -hmm. And uh, to, put, to put not too, too fine a point on it, um, it took a long time from when I initially started working on JavaScript and TC39 in 2000, we'll call it six, um, to when we had enough folks on TC39 who represented the interests of web developers that we could actually make forward progress on things that were important to web developers. Um, that, that required a concerted effort. I, I won't say to quite stack the deck, but certainly to invite more people who understood um, enough of the details up and down the stack to be able to, mm -hmm. on the one hand, make forward progress on the semantics and syntax, um, and at the same time represent uh, that constituency well. One of the things that I think that's happened well um, in the last couple of years has been, first, that the Node community has kind of dropped their blanket opposition to language changes. Uh, there was a time 
a few years ago when when Node was like, uh, not exactly we got this, but more like, you know, our user space is fine. We can add things that we need. You know, why are you bothering? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think hopefully we've shown that some of the changes that we've made are, are um, useful uh, and that has caused folks to be engaged, which is, I guess, the first step in having more folks at the table. And so one of the things that's optimistic now is that there are more folks from the Node community who are attending and can represent that viewpoint. Um, and, you know, having a, a representative group is probably one of the best ways I know of to improving the outcomes for that group. So um, I'm, I'm happy to see more folks from Node participating. Yep, that makes sense. Um, now, this is uh, uh, my JS story, and I've been asking you questions about TC39. So I'm kind of curious to uh, to come back around to your story. I mean, what's your experience been being on TC39? What's it like to sit in that chair and have these debates? Oh, uh, well, it's it's on the... So, so by way of disclaimer, um, for the last couple of years, uh, you know, so I work on the Chrome team. The Chrome mm-hmm. team is a big team. Um, we have many interests. Uh, I, I sort of drew the short straw a couple years ago, and so now I'm what they call tech lead, but I, I kind of um, am responsible for most of our standards work across many different standards bodies. Mm-hmm. And so Dominic Danicola and Adam Klein are doing a lot of our, um, a lot of our work at TC39 specifically. Okay. Um, so I go occasionally these days. I don't really spend a ton of time, in part because there's nothing that's really, bur- for me personally, burning. Again, I would love to see interfaces and I would love to see traits. Um, I think those would be huge productivity improvements. Uh, but in general, I think a lot of things are, are moving on a good on a good path, and so there's nothing nothing that I need to necessarily go for. Um, a lot of what we did in in that 2010 to 2015 era was um, to try to get the DOM and JavaScript better lined up. Mm-hmm. So we did things like promises and async and await to try to make it so that DOM APIs would feel better. Um, we added promises to a bunch of DOM APIs to make them play better with JavaScript. Uh, a little bit of, you know, this may not seem like a big deal, but we got the prototypes for DOM objects linearized correctly, which meant that if you subclassed from a DOM object, you would actually get the right thing in the prototype chain. Um, we went and we made, as part of ES6, uh, intrinsic objects and exotic objects subclassable. So now you can have a subclass of array, but that also means that you can have a subclass of DOM node list. You mm-hmm. can also have a subclass of the DOM's element type, um, which is actually backed by C++ binding. So being able to do those things and get those things lined up was a, was a, was a big effort, um, and they were enabling in lots of different ways. Um, you know, I think ESX is, is going to take a little while to show us its rough edges. We're still at a moment right now where um, not every engine has full support, and lots of people are still using transpilers. Um, I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll get to a day where people... Um, realize that transpilers are adding a lot of overhead, uh, uh, move away from them a little bit, sort of like let the pendulum switch, swing back a little bit, see what actually still hurts, and then we can learn from the community again in the way that we did in the last generation uh, of these of these language extensions. Right. So, um, but I guess that sort of uh, tells you a little bit about my perspective. I'm I'm trying to make the web platform more productive for building applications on, and and these days a lot of the, those interesting. Um, Debates, if you will, are about the way the browser constructs itself uh, or is constructed and whether or not you have access to those pieces. Mm-hmm. So um, 
custom elements and web components are sort of one way. I can finally subclass HTML element, right? right. Um, why can't I participate in forms? Right? Why are forms this weird world where like there are some elements that can get serialized, but I can't make my own that get serialized? How does mm-hmm. that work? Um, there are things like, uh, you know, there's a compositor thread, and that does really smooth animations. And, and on a lot of uh, uh, other application platforms, you can like process input there and like keep things moving smoothly under your thumb. Why isn't that open up? So we have been working uh, from the W3C Technical Architecture Group with the CSS Working Group on something called Houdini, uh, which is a set of interlocking efforts to try to explain how CSS works. And one of those things is called Animation Worklet. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing something called Custom Layout and Custom Paint. And the idea there is that we'll have things that are kind of like service workers, but they will open up the power that's already in the browser and make it available to you to do um, things on threads that were already there that you couldn't run code on. Um, so, so those are the kinds of areas where I think we're starting to see more focused investment, um, Mm -hmm. and, and not necessarily sort of language extensions to support them. I think we're in a, not a perfect spot, but there, there are some, there are some good things that will probably come out of, of that work, which will inform the next set of things we need to add to the language. Yeah, that makes sense. So, um, one of the questions I usually ask is, you know, what contributions have you made to JavaScript? I think we've talked quite a bit about that. Um, are there any things that you've ch- championed in TC39 or Chrome or, you know, just in your work over the last several years that you're particularly proud of that you've you've gotten to come out for us JavaScript people <laughs> in the trenches? Uh I'd like to be a little bit circumspect here because I realize that everything that we've added so far is probably going to be a bug in someone's future. So, um, so if you hate promises, I'm sorry. If you hate classes, uh, please don't come hunt, hunt me down. Um, you know, we, we were doing the best we could, could with what we had. Uh, so I'd say the, um, the reality is that, uh, you know, all of the work that I wind up being able to do is this the result of large-scale collaborations, right? Nothing I do is, you know, like me doing it. It's Mm -hmm. a bunch of conversations that facilitate a bunch of eventual agreement, um, initially with a small group of people, and then eventually, hopefully, to a larger group of people. And um, I'd say the thing that I'm most proud of in the last four or five years is that we've been able to try to put... uh, the design phase for most new web platform features outside of the standards bodies, not bodies, but like the, the big stable committees, right? TC39 has done a good job here uh, by adding uh, uh, Raphael Weinstein's um, process for uh, stages one through five at TC39. Um, that stage process mirrors what we've been able to do at uh, W3C more recently with incubation community groups. Um, those have been really productive. They let you design things with a small group of committed people who care about the feature. And then um, once the feature makes sense and it all hangs together, go get that broader review, go work with a larger group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that sounds like a meta answer, but things like service workers that I've been pretty heavily involved in have used that pattern and it has gone better, right? right. We, we hopefully are making fewer mistakes with our limited uh, resources to design new features and add them to the platform. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is that when we make a mistake inside the web platform, it can take five, ten years to roll it back uh, if, if we ever get the chance at all. Right. Uh, we have to wait for the usage to fall so low for a feature that we can afford to rip it out. Uh, 
uh, and face the backlash. Like so, app cache still isn't gone, right? We added service workers <laughs> uh, two and a half years ago to Chrome, and it's still not gone. So um, yeah, we we our mistakes are extraordinarily costly. And so the thing I'm most proud of is having a part, not not the largest part, but having a part in putting uh, putting our feature development on an iterative, more evidence based process. Right. So you mentioned Houdini. Are there any other things that you're working on now that you want to talk about? So just to be clear, I'm not particularly designing any Houdini APIs. Right. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sort of cheerleading from the sideline. Uh, it's part of the extensible web vision that we wrote down a couple of years ago. Um, uh, so these days, uh, I do a lot of uh, sort of, I'd call it, call it API consulting. Um, I wind up, you know, with the technical architecture group at the TAG, uh, at the W3C, we wound up reviewing a lot of new APIs that come down the transom to try to make sure that they fit well together. Um, you know, the question was always, why isn't somebody doing any quality control about these W3C APIs? Um, turns out that's us now. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so you can come yell at me. Uh, uh, the things I'm most excited about are things like the, the Houdini work. Um, and then some of the new APIs that we're adding to the platform uh, over on uh, in Domland, you know, we're getting better camera access and media control. We're getting uh, access to hardware uh, encoding and decoding for media, uh, background upload and download. Um, you know, we've added push notifications. That's been hugely successful. Uh, service workers continue to get extended into new areas. Right, we're basically we're, we're making a play, if you will, uh, to go make PWAs. Um, a capable application platform for real-world serious development. And I think we've got a straight line at it. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm ex that's what I'm excited about. It, it's not one thing. It's the fact that all these things, um, instead of being little point additions here and there, they're adding up to something. And I think that's exciting. Awesome. Yeah, we've been talking a lot about uh, progressive web apps, both on JavaScript Jabber and Adventures in Angular. And it's just interesting to see, uh, you know, where this is going and you know, initially when I first heard about it, I was like, okay, so this is a thing. And then I realized, no, this is a lot of things that all kind of create an environment for a thing. Yeah. We had to design it that way. Right. You can't, yeah. <laughs> you can't, this is the thing about the web, right? Um, everyone, everyone came to uh, mobile and they said, you know what everyone wants is HTML, JavaScript and CSS. So we're going <laughs> to take things off of the web, put them into their own zip files with their own custom manifests and then distribute them through our stores. And it turns out that users don't want stores and developers don't want zip files. Everybody yeah. just wants to go to uh, a website because it's easier uh, initially uh, than downloading something out of a store. But then they, they want to be able to keep it. And to do that, you can't really view it through the lens of uh, you know, the language that you implemented through. You have to sort of think about it as the distribution mechanism first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And so retrofitting those things onto the existing web is... Uh, it requires a different frame of mind, I guess. Um, right. And so we were we were lucky. We, again, we were extraordinarily lucky to be able to see so many projects uh, come in front of us and try the other thing, such that we had some confidence that maybe we, we, we could afford to try something something different. Right. Well, cool. Is there anything else you want to shout out about before we uh, jump into our picks? Oh, man. Uh, well, uh, IO is coming up. Uh, it's We're going to have a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, web content at I.O. Um, I know there's going to be a bunch of focus on performance, which I'm particularly ex exercised about these days. So uh, I would say, you know, 
uh, watch the live streams, check out the the YouTube channel for the web track at IO. It's going to be a lot of good stuff. Nice. Is that something that people can actually stream or? Yeah. Yeah. Most of the talks will be live streamed. Nice. How do I get myself a ticket? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the live stream, I'm afraid. <laughs> awesome. Are you trying to figure out how to stay current with Ruby and Rails? I'm putting on a two-day online conference called Ruby Remote Conf. You can check it out at rubyremoteconf.com. Like I said, it's a two-day conference where you can come and listen to speakers and experts from all around the world talk to you about issues pertaining to Ruby and web development. We have an online Slack channel, a roundtable discussion on Zoom, and all of the talks are given over Google Hangouts, and all of the talks will be streamed to you live. Come check us out at rubyremoteconf.com. Uh, all right. Well, um, the last segment that we have of this show is the picks. Um, so are there any things that you want to shout out about in picks? These like TV shows or dev tools or anything that kind of makes you happy or makes your life easier? Uh, obviously this is, this is going to sound, um, this is going to sound like me as, as a broken record. Uh, but webpagetest.org has been getting ever more awesome. Uh, there's a new mode. If you go to webpagetest.org slash easy, um, it is the fastest way to keep you and your team honest about the real world performance of your site. So give it a go. Nice. All right. Pat well, Meenan is a genius. What was that? Pat Meenan is a genius. That's right. Give that guy a medal. All right. Well, I'm going to do a couple of shout outs. Um, uh, I'm actually getting on an airplane tomorrow. I'm going to Microsoft Build. And um, one of the things that I've always thought was interesting going to these conferences, because I'm not a Microsoft guy, um, they they have us come out and do JavaScript Jabber and iFreaks and React Native Radio, um, you know, and, and just talk to their engineers about what, what they've got there for um, developers. And a couple of things that have been really interesting to me is that every time I go, I wind up running into some of my friends from the Angular team because we have an Angular podcast. And, um, you know, just seeing the collaboration between Microsoft and Google or, you know, Microsoft and Facebook or, you know, some of these other groups and teams that seem to just kind of find some synergy in some way to make uh, web development better um, is, is something that I've always been impressed with. And so I, I'm really just going to shout out about all of these different groups out there that contribute to the web development community as a whole, because it's important just to see, hey, look, you know, we're not all staking out turf. It's more like we're, we're all looking to see how we can work together to make the web development experience better and then make the web usage experience better for everybody else. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, your team's work on Chrome and the dev tools there, which are awesome, by the way. Um, and then, you know, just just all of these collaborations, either through TC39 or TypeScript with Angular or, you know, whatever, um, you know, it, it just makes my life easier. And it it's awesome on so many levels. So, you know, just an all around thank you to the people out there contributing to what we know as web development. Seconded. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Um, if people want to follow you on Twitter or, you know, check you out somewhere else, you have a blog, uh, where do they go? Slightly late is my Twitter handle. Um, 
I don't recommend following me, uh, but you could. Also, uh, I blog at infrequently.org, but the hint is in the name. It's kind of not very often. So there you go. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, uh, thank you again for coming. Thanks and for having me. Yeah, we'll uh, catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.